for the, for those who don't know, my name is Brett Johnson. The United States Secret Service called me the original Internet Godfather. Now, how do you get a title like that? Well, I got it because I pled guilty finally to 39 felonies. I was placed on the United States Most Wanted list. I escaped from prison. And if that weren't enough, I also built and ran the first organized cybercrime community. It was called Shadow Crew. It's a precursor of today's darknet and darknet markets. It laid the foundation for the way modern financial cybercrime works today. If you're wondering, hey, where did all this crap start? You're looking at it. <laughs> Nothing to be proud of. And it does. Oh, believe you me, it does get one sent to prison, deservedly so. Now, they were talking just a second ago about me stealing $160,000 a week. Um, I'm responsible for a lot of different types of cybercrime. And one of the big ones that I was responsible for is tax return identity theft. So basically, you, when I was committing it, you would use dead people's identities and you would file taxes in their name. As that progressed and evolved, you got to where you would just simply steal people's W-2s and file taxes before they were able to. So if you're wondering why your tax returns are delayed every single year, you're looking at the SOB once again. <laughs> and my sincere apologies <laughs> truly i laugh about it but yeah i'm sorry that that right there is a hell of an intro welcome to yeah. mind split ladies and gentlemen where this week's guest we have none other than mr brett johnson and he like he like he said is the godfather of cyber criminals and and thank you so much for for joining the show this week and Many of our guests might wonder why is Brett on the show, right? And and, and Brett, we kind of talked about it off air a little bit. The life that you lived, right? Your previous life, right? That has to come with a lot of anxiety, a lot of stress, a lot of looking over your shoulder all right. the time. Like, how did you? How did you? How did you deal with Man. that? How did you cope? How did you, well, were, there, were there exercises that you did? Like, did you play tennis to, to deal with the stress? Like, what did you do? Well, unfortunately, I, I had not found drugs and alcohol at that point in time. So I did not self-medicate. But, um, you know, it, it's, it's it's really interesting that this is a mental health podcast that you guys are doing. Um, I've turned my life around. Now. I was I was given the opportunity to do that through my my sister, my wife, and then finally the FBI. I'm I'm widely respected in the cybersecurity identity theft fields on on both sides. <laughs> Unfortunately <laughs> on the bad side too. But um when I was committing crime and I talk about this a lot these days, um I was, I was fortunate when I went through prison, I had cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT. It teaches you that your thoughts determine your feelings, your feelings determine your actions. If you can change the thought process, the, the actions change at the end of the line. And that helped me to no end, that, that and accepting responsibility and accountability. When I was committing crime, it's, it's really interesting. Um, There's a guy named Creasy. Back in the 1950s, he makes this thing called the fraud triangle. And he says, in order for insiders to commit fraud, three things have to happen. You have to have pressure on that individual. You have to be able to commit the crime, the opportunity. And then finally, you have to justify that crime. So with me, there was a lot of justification. 
mm-hmm. a lot of that. I was I was the guy who said that, hey, I did it for my sister. I did it for my wife, for my family, for my stripper girlfriend. And I believed the, those justifications. I, I, I commonly, I had this saying that I would tell people that, hey, you meet me online, I'm a really bad guy. But in the real world, I'm a good guy. And yeah. I would, you know, I'd give money to charities to try to, uh, uh, to to convince myself I was this good person. Kind of like a little Robin Hood. Yeah, it, you see that a lot in a lot of gangster films. You know, Frank Lucas, an American gangster, oh, he always gave to the neighborhood. Yeah. Uh, John yeah. Gotti was yeah. a, a, a almost a messiah in the neighborhood that he lived mm-hmm. in. Um, so you see this all the time, this, this kind of justification of, of doing things to convince yourself, and I'm no different, to convince yourself that at the end of the day, you're a good person. This, this is business. And this is my personal life. So I was all about compartmentalizing everything that went on. You, you talk about pressure <laughs> and stress and things like that. Um, you have to understand that I was on top of the food chain at that point. Um, I was the guy who built the uh, the backbone of the way that cybercrime operates. So I was top of the pile. And And when you're like that, I was um, constantly stressed, had a lot of anxiety. I knew uh, I would keep the front blinds pulled in the, in the house so that no one could see in. If, if a law enforcement vehicle pulled into the area, I was on point, knew exactly where they were, knew how long they were going to be staying. I, need, I mean, just always there. I, I was always look, listening for knocks at the door. If, uh, if I was driving and I, um, you know, a cop car pulled in behind me just down the street someplace. I knew it. And I was, you know, always nervous and trying to get out of their way. Um, It's, it's hard to put into words the, the amount of stress and anxiety that a criminal talking me here or any Mm -hmm. other criminal goes through. Uh, We got to the point. And so I was, I started my life of crime when I was 10. Um, and I want to get into that because okay. I, and yeah, but go ahead. I didn't mean to cut you off, but no, I do no, no. want to get into to the way, the way you yeah. grew up. Right. Because for those of you who don't know, uh, Brett is featured in uh, a Netflix show um, and he's got two episodes um, and the titled stingray. Correct. Um, uh, it's, it's web of make believe. Yep. Uh, episodes five and six about mm-hmm. the stingray device is yes. what it is. Yes. And now. so you're featured in two in episode five and six, and right. it kind of tells your story uh, along with the, another gentleman and right. how y'all were connected. But um, I just wanted to give that to the audience and let them know that if they want to kind of further explore your story, then they can go to this Netflix sure. show. So go ahead. You you were mentioning you were about to talk about your, your early childhood and how you grew up. Yeah, it's it's you know, and the the interesting thing on my show that I'm doing, I've I've I'm transitioning to talking to uh, former felons right now, mm-hmm. and one of the things that I that I've heard from most of the people that I've talked to, my situation is not unique. A lot of those other individuals began their life of crime at a very early age. Uh, for me, it was ten years old. I, I'm from Eastern Kentucky. Um, Eastern Kentucky, if you've never been, right in the you know the heart of the Appalachians in coal country. Mm-hmm. it's one of these areas that uh, if you're lucky enough to have a job, you're very lucky. If not, you know, you, a lot of people engage in scams, frauds, hustles, things like whatever they can do to, to make ends meet. Uh, my mom 
was a fraudster. She was basically like the captain of the entire industry in that area for fraud. And, you know, nothing too big or too small for her. She, uh, she steals a 118,000 pound Caterpillar D9 bulldozer. She, uh, takes a slip and fall into a convenience store. We had a neighbor. She acted as a pimp for, um, used to stand at the corner. You know, you see those, you see those, um, those people with buckets beside the road, you know, collecting money. I remember many a day I would stand beside the road, you know, homeless shelter, uh, abused women's shelter, whatever, with a bucket asking for donations. And you, you tally it up at the end of the day and see how much everybody's got. And you split it up. Um, that was that was my life. My my life my crimes begin at ten. Um, my mom leaves my dad. My dad was my dad's been living with me for the past year, and I always uh, always painted my dad as a good guy. You know, I, I said that he was always a good man. He just loved my mom so much that he put up with the abuse and the the criminal behavior and all that. And now that my dad's been living with me, I've I've come to the conclusion that my dad was just a guy who didn't care, and. Uh, that's a hard pill to swallow guys. You know, yeah. it, it is yeah, it's a hard pill to swallow. I mean, but, for uh, so many years you had this, this um, idea or this, you know, of how your dad was. And then, and now at, you know, long, like older in life. And now you're coming to the realization you're, it wasn't yeah. really the way you kind of. Well, I, I told, I was talking, uh, I was talking about that with my, with my wife. Um, and I really think that what was going on, you know, I, I only really, um, I got out when I was, I got out of prison when I was 41 and I really started reflecting on my life a couple three years after that. So I've not been, I'm 53 right now. And I'm constantly thinking about, you know, who I am, why I do the things I do, things like that. And I really think that the reason that I painted my father as that good guy is that I really needed that yeah. <laughs> at that point in time. You were holding on to that, yeah, right. Exactly. I, in order to process all this other mm-hmm. stuff that was going on. Um, so this is this mental health stuff, right? But uh, my mom leaves my dad. She had um, she used to bring men home in front of him, uh, partying, leave for days, uh, tell him she was going to leave, you know, whatever. But um, she leaves my dad, takes me and my sister from Panama City back to Hazard, Kentucky. And she keeps up those partying ways. And this is a woman, excuse me, this is a woman who, she'd leave me and my sister home for days at a time. I mean, days. Uh, and be partying with with her friends and all that. Uh, sometimes she'd take me and my sister with us, whether she'd leave us in a car or we'd wait in the living room as she went, you know, adjourned to the bedroom, what have you. Most of the time we just stayed at the home, at home. And, and this, you got to realize when I, when I talk about this, it sounds, it feels to me like I'm minimizing. But this is a woman who who would almost constantly tell us that she had given up her life for us, that she was going to leave and never come back, that uh, we were going to find her dead in a ditch someplace, just bam, bam, bam. And when you're mm-hmm. when you're a child, you know, as an adult, you can you can filter that out. You know, when somebody's just full of crap as yeah. a child, you don't. Yeah, that's your so, mom. Your mom, <clears throat> my mom. Yeah, that's, yeah, that had have been a difficult thing to, yeah. to even hear. Yeah. So I'm I'm, you know, 10 years old. Mom's gone. I'm the guy that I'm the kid that, that posts up at the window, see if she's, you know, Waiting coming home, like looking yeah. through the blinds. Yeah. Sometimes exactly. I'm, you know, walking out in the street, see if she's driving home. That's me at 10. My sister, Denise is nine. She's not like that. Denise is a child who's just pissed off all the time. Okay. And uh, so mom would, uh, where my crimes begin, mom had been gone for a few days and we didn't have any food in the house. <clears throat> yeah. It Denise was, it walks was like, in. it was like, you know, the, 
when you when you feel like you were trapped in a corner. You were back well, in the yeah. corner. You needed to feed started yourself. Started out of you feed Denise. Yeah. So know? so well, what happens is Denise comes in with a pack of pork chops, and I'm like, "Where'd you get that?" She's like, "I stole it." And so we start shoplifting food, and that turns into shoplifting, you know, games and jewelry and toys and all that. Because hell, you're ten and nine, you're gonna get some toys. But yeah. uh, mom comes home, sees everything we've stolen, asks where it came from. I tell her we found it. She's like, no, you didn't find that. Denise says we stole it. My mom looks at my sister, show me how you did that, and joins us. Um, wow. Not only does she join us, but yeah, she, she goes to get her mother to join us as well. And so that, y'all that's, got like a little crime syndicate in the family, yeah, right? Yeah, a little intergenerational shoplifting ring. Yeah. Have you ever seen that show Animal Kingdom on TNT? I've not. I I've, I know what it is, yeah. but I've never seen it. Yeah, yeah it is really awesome. good. And we'll we'll talk about it off okay. air, but I don't yeah. you know I don't want to waste it. But no, but similar uh, to that, it was you know it's kind of like a, a crime family, right? You know that sort of thing. So but that that's where my life of crime begins, and I, I you know I want your your listeners to understand I'm not blaming, and I'm big about this. I'm not blaming my life the the way my parents raised me for my decisions and choices as an adult. When you're a child, you can't help what the adults in your circle are doing. You're going to do that. But when I became an adult, I had the choice to either go down that life of crime or mm-hmm. do the right damn thing. And I, I chose the life of crime. My sister had the exact same upbringing. She she goes off to be a teacher, and, great parent, citizen. Yeah, and you mentioned that in the show. And I wanted right. to ask you, what do you think was that? I mean, two kids in the same environment, right? You and your sister. One chose, your sister chose to be a teacher and go down the path of, you know, normalcy, I guess let's call it, right? You, on the other hand, you chose to continue your career. Yeah. What do you think was that, because it's same environment, what do you think that trigger was where it was like for you to to justify it it was okay? And for Denise to say, hey, I'm done, I'm going to, I'm going to do the right thing. I've actually thought about that. And, um. There was, I, I've done a few podcasts now other than the, than the new one I've got. I did this one called Anglerfish where I actually bring Denise in and she sits down and talks with me about her, you know, her childhood with us. And yeah. uh, at one point during that podcast, she says that uh, she always thought that someone was going to come and save us. And my, me, I mean, I just, bam, right there. I'm like, uh, well, I knew no one ever would. Mm-hmm. And I think that that right there sets the tone for everything. Denise was, uh, so Denise always wanted someone to come and save us. And because of that, she, she, she grows up to be a good citizen, but she's got a lot of anger issues. Okay. Me, I knew no one was ever going to save us. So by God, if you're, if it's going to get done, you got to do it yourself. <laughs> and I don't have a lot of anger issues. I, I joke about everything. I mean, I'm just, I'm this guy that will laugh about just about anything because it's, it's better to laugh than cry, honestly. But um, I think that that sets the path of the way that Denise went and the way that I went. Now, that being said, you got to understand, too, and, and Brian Cranston says this in, uh, in Breaking Bad, I was damn good at it. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I, I took to it like a, you know, like a fish yeah. to water. Yeah, that had that had to be a, a driving factor in you continuing on. It's just yeah. you know mentally you were like, hey, this is I'm good at this shit. Let's yeah. keep going. 
Yeah, and, it's and, uh, it's 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 definitely a driving factor. Uh, my sister actually told me a couple of years ago. Um, once I, you know, turned my life around, and I'm still turning my life around, but once I once I became, you know, this guy on the cybersecurity side, she was like, uh, "You just don't do anything half-assed." You know, you were top of the heap on the on the crime side, and now you're yeah. this guy on on the good guy side, and, I, and that's that's there's a lot of truth to that. I uh, um, I don't settle for anything. I always strive to do the best of whatever I'm doing. Wow. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Yeah. So does, and, and I know we kind of went over this, but I, I wanted to ask this specific question. Did your mom joining you guys in the stealing spree or even having her prior to you stealing, seeing her doing the stealing, living the crime life, did that in your head justify that it's okay at a young age? Dude, I, I didn't, uh, I mean, my life, uh, we're, we're doing a book on it, but I didn't meet my first decent person until I was 16. Okay. Wow. Um, when I say that my, my, it wasn't just my mom who was involved in criminal activity. Every single person on that side of the family was involved in something. All right. Mm -hmm. My, my, my aunt was the person who was always trying to defraud uh, disability claims and insurance fraud and everything else. My grandfather, he used to sit on the downstairs porch. People would walk up to him with stolen VCRs, radios, watches, what have you. And they would start telling him now, Paul, this is where this came from. And he would stop him right there. Son, I ain't the FBI. I don't yeah. care where it came from. What do you want for it? And that, yeah. that was the type of environment that I grew up in. It, and, and you got to understand there's a lot of abuse in that environment, a lot of mm -hmm. abuse. My mom was, uh, she could be physical, but it, it was emotional, verbal, mental, the negligence of everything. I get to the yeah. point, I don't know if you guys have listened to this or not, but uh, I get to the point when we're in Florida still with my dad, that my mom and dad would leave the house and I would, uh, I would urinate on the carpet. And I didn't, I didn't talk about that until I was, uh, I don't know, 47, 47, 48 years old. And I, I talked about it in a, in a presentation. I, I do public speaking now. Mm -hmm. Talked about it in a presentation. This woman comes up to me after the presentation. She was like, you know, Brett, I, before I did this job I'm doing now, I used to work with abused children. And what you did is normal um, because you get to the point that that's the only form of control that you have left. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so that was one of the things that happened when I'm, when I'm 15, I, um, I beat up a woman in an elevator. My mom had left my dad. I got, I got a call from my dad that uh, I, I was always under the impression that I was going to, uh, that I was going to go live with him. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I guess I was looking for, to be saved too, at one point. Mm -hmm. And, uh, um, I get the call that, uh, that he's getting married. I didn't even know he had a girlfriend. I get the call that he's getting married and no, I ain't going any place. And, uh, I guess I, I guess I just snapped and, uh, and he up... wasn't living in the same town as you now. He had, he, no. he left the house and he used Florida. And my mom, said? my mom had left him. We were living in Panama city, Florida. My okay. mom had left him and we had uh, me and Denise and mom, we were in hazard Kentucky. My dad okay. stayed in Panama city. Uh, and the way we got to Panama city, uh, my dad, I don't know if you guys have seen this. My dad was watching 60 Minutes one night, and they were doing this segment on the drug trade in Miami. 
And they were showing the tables of cash, the pallets of Coke and everything else. And he's sitting there just locked into that show after the after the 20 minute segments over. He looks over at my mom. He's like, I think I need to go and be a cop in Miami. And she was like, you know, that's a really good idea. And the 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 plan was for him to become a cop. Happen upon a drug deal. He'd let them keep the drugs. He'd take the cash and everything would be just fine. Mm-hmm. That did not go too well. They got to Miami. There were some riots going on in Miami when they got there. Um, scared my mom to death. About uh, the next day, my dad goes to cop class, comes back. Everything's going to be just fine. The day after that, my dad goes to cop class, comes back. We are not staying. And what had happened was Miami-Dade police had burst in, arrested like six people that had outstanding warrants that had the exact same plan that he had. And he was like, probably a bad idea. So they were almost broke by that point. They get in the uh, the U-Haul they had rented, start heading north on I-75. No idea where they were going until they remember that they both at once, once upon a time had went to spring break in Panama City, Florida. Wow. And that's how we ended up there. Wow. Yeah. So not not much of, you know, planning going on in that. Yeah, it was just kind of fly by the seat, yeah, kind of like, yeah. Hey, yeah. yeah. Fly by night, definitely. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I know we're kind of jumping all over the places, sure, but sure. I, I wanted to jump back into what we saw in the web uh, web of make believe. Okay. The first time you went to the Kinkos, um, <laughs> the first time you went to the Kinkos, uh, what was going through your head when you were when you were trying to get that money the first time? Are we talking about the Beanie Baby thing? Yeah, the Beanie Baby. I'm sorry. Yes, Beanie Baby. So, so the thing was, is I had um, scared to death. You know, the thing is, is when um, for those who don't who have not committed crime, it's a lot of trial and error a lot of mm-hmm. the time. You know, there's a difference between reading about something and doing it. Okay, so you can read about all these crimes that are committed, but until you actually put you know hands to the pay or feet to the pavement and actually go about committing it, it's mm-hmm. it's a different animal altogether. So I was defrauding this lady for a Beanie Baby. Um, for those who don't know and haven't watched the show, uh, my first online crime was selling a counterfeit. Well, I say a counterfeit. was selling a Beanie Baby on eBay. I was watching Inside Edition one night. They were profiling this thing called Peanut the Royal Blue Elephant, selling for yeah, $1,500. Yeah, I was yeah. sitting there going, I need me a peanut. Well, made out of polyester, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly. So... <laughs> Couldn't it was a blue elephant and I couldn't find the damn thing at any of the shops. Took me about three hours to figure out, idiot, he's not in the shops, he's on eBay for fifteen hundred dollars. Yeah, exactly. But they had these little gray ones, eight dollars. So I'm like, huh, grab a grab one for eight dollars. Stop by Kroger on the way home, pick up a pack of blue rip dye, go home, try to dye the little guy. Turns out they're made out of polyester. Like you said, they don't hold dye very well. Look like they've got the mange when you get them out of the bath. And uh, I found a picture of a real one, posted it. This lady thought I had the real thing, and she wins the bid for fifteen hundred. And uh, what happens is, is I was very, I, I was not very well schooled in online fraud. No one was at that point in time. Mm-hmm. So I, I did this under my own name. I sent her the animal in my name, and I, I, well, I told her first. I was like, "Hey, man." Uh, you know, congratulations on the bid. We've never done any business before. I'm not sure if I can even trust you. What I need you to do is send me a couple of money orders for $1,500. 
I get those, I'll send you your animal. And she believed that. So she sends them to me. I cash out the money orders, send her the animal in the mail. Cause I figured, Hell, you got to send them something. She gets it. Sees that, hey, this is not what I ordered. Gives me a call, very irate. (laughs) And basically, hey, this is not what I bought. And my my response, because I was, I was, I mean, I was an asshole. My response was, lady, you ordered a blue elephant. I sent you a blue ish elephant. And um, now, now that was me with that bravado, but the actual thought process and the feelings and everything else, I was absolutely scared to death, wondering if she was going to call the police, wondering what was going yeah. to go on, who was going to come and get me. I got more uh, more aware of the things that were going on in the neighborhood, knocks at the door, everything else like that. I mean, the, the stress level and the anxiety, even though I profited $1,500, was through the roof because yeah. I hadn't done anything like that exactly. before. Now, the secret to criminal activity is the more you do it, the calmer you get because mm. you start to understand the dynamics of what's going on. Well, right. that was my next question is, is how long did it take for that paranoia to start to subside? And, and you were just like, this is it. I'm good. Does it, it come, it does it come back with every new kind of hustle? Like, yeah, it okay, does. I, if, I've done if, the, I've done the beanie baby thing and I'm cool right. with that. Now I'm going to go into this IRS, tax. you know, tax thing. And that, now that's a whole nother set of anxiety until I do that enough. Right. So, so what you see is, is being a criminal, you develop a, a skill set. All right. And that skill set does translate to other types of crime. Okay. So, uh, you know, when, when you're doing, um, like I was selling items that didn't exist on eBay, that translates very well over to credit card schemes where you have to run drop addresses, things like that. So, so one, one, the skill set in something will, tra- will help you transfer to another type another of criminal activity, mm-hmm. all right? And that tends to be the way it is still today. Now, that being said, so I was doing eBay fraud and uh, was was stealing a decent amount of money. Um, eBay fraud turns into um, selling counterfeit software, pirated software, and also um, programming satellite DSS cards. So mm-hmm. those 18-inch RCA satellite systems, you can program the access card, turn on all the channels. Started doing that. Up. Yeah, and I, I'm the guy that ripped everyone off on that. So um, when you when you first start that and you start stealing people's money, there's a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety because again, you don't you don't you're not aware of any potential repercussions that could come. Are these you, you've not learned yet? And here, here's one of the big secrets. You, you one of the first lessons on that most cyber criminals learn is that if you delay that victim long enough. A lot of them, they get exasperated. They they give up. They throw their hands in the air. They walk away, and they don't. You don't hear from them. Yeah. All right. You just wear them down. Um, and very few. And that's that's one of the big things today. Very, and it was back then. Very few victims ever report those crimes to law enforcement. They just kind of eat it. All right. Mm-hmm. Um, now, before you learn that, the stress and anxiety through the roof. Once you learn that, it calms down, all right, until you transfer to a new crime. So I was doing this eBay fraud, uh, bank scam, stuff like that, and we partnered with some Ukrainians, and they're the ones that were responsible for uh, credit card theft as we know it today. All right, a guy named Dmitry uh, Golubov, he's, uh, he's on parliament in the Ukraine right now, but he's the guy that's responsible for modern credit card theft as we know it. When he comes over, 
none of us except the Ukrainians had ever really dealt with with credit card fraud. So getting started in that brings a whole new set or a whole new you know whole new level of anxiety and stress and everything else. But again, the more you do it, you get to where you level out. Now, now the the secret to all this is, and this is one of the things that that not only myself but you know I served seven and a half years in prison, and I saw this with most criminals that were in prison as well. With Shadow Crew, we get to the point where we know that we're being investigated. We had actually intercepted text messages of the United States Secret Service investigating us, okay? Mm -hmm. So we knew we were on the hook. But what happens is, is you adopt this philosophy or this idea of fatalism. Whatever's going to happen is going to happen. Wow. And that allows you to continue committing the crimes without having to stress out and have the anxiety and the fear that would maybe prohibit that criminal activity. All right. So fatalism is very common with bank robbers, with drug dealers, with credit card thieves or, you know, mm -hmm. hackers like I am, uh, anything like that. And it's a very common trait that you see among criminals. Speaking of, and and I'm curious to to ask this question. You kind of you kind of mentioned Shadow Crew and in the in in the in the special it kind of goes deeper into it and but is there an honor amongst thieves i mean you know how like if you can you know you are now putting together a like a crew so to speak right, right. and you're you're getting information from everybody and, and helping you help daniel and and so forth right right if if no one in the world can trust these guys right what makes you feel that you can trust them? You know, again, is it honor among thieves? I, well, there, there, that's, a, that's a good question. And yes, to a point with some exceptions, you have to understand that people act in their own self-interest. As long as you understand that, you can develop trust with individuals and have that honor among those individuals. Now, here's what I mean by that. Uh, and I used to teach this on Shadow Crew as well. Someone who is selling illegal goods and services will continue to sell those goods and services as long as it's in their best interest to do so. So what does that mean? Well, it means as long as they've got a steady supply of that product or service because mm -hmm. they know they can continue to make money. They're going to try to keep their name top notch as long as they are not arrested or under investigation, causing them to shut up shop. So as long as it's in their best interest, Yes, they will continue to do that. So what we did with Shadow Crew, I'm the guy that that invents this trust mechanism. So you figure you're, you're dealing with criminals. All of us were criminals. You're dealing with criminals where you don't know what each other look like. You mm -hmm. don't know each other's real names. You'll never meet each other in real life. So for cybercrime to succeed, three things have to take place. You have to gather data. You have to commit a crime. And then finally, you have to cash that crime out. You have to put cash mm -hmm. in pocket. Those three necessities have to work in conjunction. The problem is, is that a single attacker, one criminal, can't do all three things. He yeah. Can do one, sometimes yeah. two. And you go you into that. Okay, so you now, have to network with people. And you, for you to you, network, you have to trust those people. So yes. how do you develop trust? in a criminal environment. And the way we did that is sh when Shadow Crew, it almost mirrors what happens with the, the Italian mafia. The way we did it with Shadow Crew is first you have a communication channel, that forum type structure where you can where you can look at individuals and, and conversations days, weeks, months old. We had vouching systems in place, review systems, 
escrow systems in place, all with that purpose of establishing trust with one criminal and another. Now, when I say vouch, what that means is if I say this guy is good, I take responsibility for that guy. Yeah. If he rips You're somebody right. off, you don't go to him. You come to me and I make things right. Okay. Yeah. And that and that made all the difference in the world at that point in time. And that's still the type of, of trust mechanism that is used today in criminal environments online. Now I could I could sit here and talk to you all day about this, like I like I mentioned off air, right? But when when you got popped, right, and then you were working again, you can watch kind of the the, the story unfold on on the on the Netflix special. But when you got popped and you were working for the IRS, secret and service, you were in that room and they were over your shoulder, right, and you were trying to catfish, you know, the you know kind of catch them. It eventually had to get out that you were kind of, you know, that you were on the other side now, right? right? And so does that take a hit for, like, your your street cred, like, now amongst the other criminals where they're like, no, we can't touch Brett now. or, or you Yeah, know. you're labeled a narc or something. Yeah. So that that's one of the things that um, if it were in drugs, if it were in smuggling, if it were anything other than online crime – you take a hit. Uh, the interesting thing is that in criminal in environments, like I'm on Telegram all the time, uh, on Dread on the Dark Web, things like that. Everyone knows, and I'm there under my name. So uh, everyone knows who I am. And typically they're okay with it because yeah. th they, they have this sense that, hey, this guy's been when we are. He's not on here judging us. He's just, you know, looking he's at stuff like we are he's just yeah, exactly. brett we know where yeah. he's from we know what he's done and i talk to him about quitting sometimes and they typically tell me hey no way i'm quitting i make too much money doing this stuff and i'm like <laughs> yeah i get it but um a lot of those guys also think you know they see what i've done with my life uh there's this there's this thing in cybersecurity that if you want to go to the top of cybersecurity serve a few years in prison and you'll get out and speak and, and a lot of people believe that even though it's not true um, the truth is, is that, you know, a lot of, a lot of criminals think that they can get, a, get arrested. And when they get out, they can get a career as a consultant, things like that. What they don't understand is that when you get out, nobody trusts you, mm -hmm. you know, you're not going to get a job. You're, 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 I mean, doing anything. I mean, you can get a job if you're a former drug dealer, but if you're the guy who steals identities and hacks into systems and yeah, <laughs> all that, you ain't get a job. And the FBI yeah. and the IRS and the CIA and everybody is not knocking on every criminal's door that just right. got out, you know? Right. So, right. Yeah. So it took me, I got out in 2011. It took me until 2017 to just get hired for one thing. Okay, so there's a lot of trust building that takes place, and you got to have people that uh, you know. A lot of people think, I, "Well, I can do this." The only way you can do it is if people take a chance on you. So you have mm -hmm. to have have people that are willing to put their reputation, their livelihood on the line to give you a chance. And I'm going to tell you guys, there's not a whole lot of people out there that do that. Mm -hmm. All right, um, so you you know it's and and today, today I'm on the right side of the fence. Yeah, I am, but. Uh, it, it's been one hell of a trip to do that. And, and you being you being on the okay, so I'm gonna set this question up. Sure, I'm a basketball guy. I'm six foot ten. I play collegially, play professionally. I'm in the business now. 
I can spot talent, right? I can I can watch ESPN or a game sure. and say, hey, this kid is worthy of being in the league, right? Right. You yeah. being on one side for many years and now being on this other side, can you still can you spot quote unquote talent or can you spot a scam just because of your trained eye? Oh, you can do it every every day. I, I consult with uh, with various law enforcement agencies on that. Um, so we, we've got some arrests that are coming up up later this fall that um, I, I can't talk about right now. Of course, of arrested, course, but, not, yeah. uh, we've got we've got a lot of arrests coming up later this fall from from some of those guys. Um, I'm the guy that if you read my stuff on LinkedIn, I I, I like to anticipate the new types of fraud that are coming on and talk about that. Um, make no mistake, I and I said this yesterday in a post. I identify as a criminal, not because I'm currently breaking the law, but because I understand that criminal culture more yeah. than not. Mm-hmm. All right. So uh, I, I absolutely the mindset fits more in the criminal culture than it does in the legal culture. You know, I, do I get tempted? Well, yeah. I, you know, I see the the money that's stolen during the pandemic, and I'm like, I could have done that. Yeah, in, <laughs> in know, and, sleep, right? Uh, yeah, and but where I fight that temptation, you know, if I, if I see some sort of scheme, like, uh, you know, a way to get a Rolex or some crap like that, I'll typically write about it or do a podcast about it. And that will get the temptation out of my system at that point, because mm. I've talked and I've walked through how to go about doing that. And I've warned the people that, Hey, this is what's going on on your system. You know, this is how easy it is to defraud this system. Wow. Uh, the sad so, thing is, is that a lot of, especially if you're a government sector, they don't listen. They don't care. Yeah, there's too much red tape, too much yeah. bureaucracy. By yeah. the time it gets up to where it needs to get to, yeah, it's already it's like happened. That. So, is is you you kind of say to get it out of your system, you would do a podcast or a show or talk about it, right? A post. Right. Is it similar to being like a like a, a an alcoholic where you need to have a drink, and then you need to. Every day, it's a struggle to fight that battle to not have that drink, right? Like, or be a, a, a gambling, you know, uh, a gamble. What what is it called? The uh, um, oh my god, Gambler? yeah, just gambling. You know, like so, if you got a problem gambling, or you know, is it the same thing? I think that it, I think it is an addiction. Now, so my my thing, and, and if you if you if you pay attention to what I was saying, I'm not talking about the money. I'm talking about this is how you do it. Yeah. This is how you get this done. Um, So, so that I, it is an addiction. It absolutely is because I'm good at it. Yes. All right. And uh, it, it, and when I was doing it, you know, for many years, it brought thrill and enjoyment and a number of other things that were positive at that point in time until it turned very, very negative. It gets to the point when you're committing criminal activity that it's no longer fun. You yeah, know, you, you don't want to continue doing this, but you do it anyway. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it's a, it's a lot like that. I talk uh, on my show a lot about having that support group, that safety net of individuals, of being able to talk about things. Because being a criminal, I I lived my life not talking about stuff. All right. So like during the pandemic, for example, um, I I. I you know, my speaking gigs were ending because we had lockdown. There was no con- yeah. consulting going on, anything else like that. I called the family in the kitchen. I was like, hey, the way this story ends is with me back committing fraud and in prison for 20 years. And that was the first time I had ever verbalized that fear 
of committing crime. I'd usually, when I was back in, in the day, I'd be just, I'd just swallow it and, you know, adopt this attitude of I'm going to do what I need. I got to do. Yeah. Right. I got to, I got to get those pork chops. I got to right. feed the fam. Right. Yeah. And uh, just by me verbalizing it, and it wasn't just to my wife and kids, it was to everyone in the industry that I talked to. It was to my, to my friends in the FBI. It got to the point that the FBI buddies of mine, they'd call me up every couple of weeks. Hey, Brett, how you doing? You want to have lunch together? And they'd always check on me. And it's that support yeah. group. It's a lot like AA or Narconon or what have you, that support group of just being in there and being able to talk to people, you know, that have your back that you can, that you can just get that out makes all the difference in the world at the end of the day. Wow. It, it seems that, you know, you just kind of compared it to an addiction and it kind of, I mean, it, it is yeah. from start to finish. It's an addiction. You're, you're addicted to the thrill. You're addicted to the, the money, the, the, even the stress at times, you know, the paranoia, you might be addicted to it and then getting away from it. And you even mentioned that sometimes writing it out helps you right. get over the, the, the wanting to phase. And that's kind of like with, with drug addiction, you know, a lot of people that go through addiction for substance, they, they get out and they turn around and they start helping people that are in addiction. And that's their way of staying sober. But, uh, you know, I understand too, man. You're right. You're right. And, 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 and understand too, I mean, one of the things that, uh, and I do liken it to an addiction. And one of the things that I'm big about saying is that, is that someone who is addicted to someone, to, to something cannot love anything or anything else, but that addiction. And because, and I fully believe that. And the reason I say that is, you know, I was committing crime. I was engaged to this girl that I was head over heels with. And, and, and she had no idea that I was a criminal. And I put that criminal activity ahead of her every single day, every day. Wow. And, uh, you know, like an addiction. Yeah, it's gonna be stressful and, and, to live a double life, so to speak. Well, it's got... it's stressful then, but but the guilt now. Mm. You know, when when you look that's, back yeah, at you know, yeah, you know, and and that's one of the things I think too that that helps keep me straight is you know I, I look back constantly. I, I take these long drives, like if I if I've got a presentation or, or a gig that's within like a seven hour drive, I'll drive it instead of fly it, and that way mm -hmm. I I can think through these processes, you know, of uh, but. I think that that guilt and accepting that and knowing that, Hey, you're the SOB that did that. I, you know, I could have chose to, uh, to have a, a legal life and mm -hmm. I could have been with that person. And, uh, um, you know, just the guilt of knowing that, Hey, the only thing that ruined that was, was me. Wow. I, that that's the kind of stuff that I think really helps people, uh, you know, overcome those addictions and, and not, uh, slide back things like that. Mm -hmm. And your your relationship. I mean, we've got a couple more minutes here, but sure. the relationship with your mom. I mean, you said your dad's living with you now. Like, yeah. I, how's that relationship now with your mom? Has she I, I don't have or... one. No, no, she she is still alive. She actually called me or tried to call me uh, about three months ago and uh, left a message on my phone saying, hey, I need your help. I've not been arrested. It's nothing illegal, which automatically means that it's something <laughs> illegal. And uh yeah. I just, I, I didn't, I didn't respond to it. Uh, she's, she's, she, heck, she's like 79 now okay, and still doing this stuff. Um, she's, she's still very toxic. She's, uh, she's narcissistic, um, does not accept any responsibility or accountability. We'll tell you in mm -hmm. no uncertain terms. She tried to be a good mother. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, my to blame sister, on someone else. yeah, she blames it on everyone but herself. Everyone. Yeah. And, uh, 
you know, I, I told her about, uh, you know, about like me urinating in the floor and things like that. She called me a liar that it never happened. Mm. Um, has, has called many times either attacking me or, or leaving nasty messages on my, on my wife's cell phone. Um, I don't know why, why Brett won't talk to me anymore. Stuff like that. So yeah, it's, it's just yeah. better to avoid toxic people. Well, toxic people. I, I really do appreciate you taking the time yeah. to talk about, I mean, just briefly talk about like we could we could bring you back for four more episodes hey anytime anytime really dive into you know the story but brett johnson you are such a an amazing story you know um and and i just want to appreciate i want to say thank you for for coming on the show and and lending your your story to the thank you to the to the podcast thank you truly i appreciate it yeah, absolutely, Brett. Um, I appreciate you coming through so quickly. I mean, it was, I mean, it took all of 20 minutes to, to get this put together and you, you've made it so simple. Uh, I'm, I'm truly thankful that you've got on our show and talk to our listeners about this. Um, and- Matt, you know, you weren't with us the last two episodes because you had a prior engagement. I just want to say, I am so glad you're back. <laughs> well, Brent, you have a voice for this. You have a voice for this. And, well, and I appreciate I'm tired it. of hearing my voice. I appreciate it. Well, Brett, plug your plug your podcast. I know we see the sign, the Brett Johnson Show. Whoa. Plug where people can find you on LinkedIn, where they can find the podcast, like if they want to know more. Yeah, look, guys, I, I, I've been doing this podcast called The Brett Johnson Show. It's on YouTube. It's on Spotify, iTunes, wherever you get your content. I would really appreciate if you'd, you know, tune in, see if you like it. If you do, subscribe. If you don't, subscribe. <laughs> you know, hey, I, I, I'm I'm really serious, I, and I mean this. I'm really serious about a few things, it, uh, about knowing who I am, about uh, treating people the way that you'd like to be treated, and also about protecting people from that type of person that I used to be. So mm-hmm. I, I talk a lot about scams, cybercrime. I talk about this journey I'm going through uh, trying to become a better person. And I'm very serious about those types of things. So, you know, tune into the show, see what you think. If you want to contact me, you can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on my website, anglerfish.com. That's A-N-G-L-E-R-P-H-I-S-H, like fishing. Okay dot com. Um, I don't charge people. I don't now. If you've got a company or want me to speak, I've got a fee yeah. for you. But but if you uh, you, know, you if you just should. want yeah if you just want some advice or something like that, shoot me an email. Make a comment on the YouTube uh, uh, platform or something like that, and I'll follow up with you. I promise you that. Okay, so uh, stay Fantastic. safe out there, and and thank you guys so much for bringing me on. I do appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you. And we'll throw all your information right here on the screen somewhere. Um, we'll get the editing team to, to put your information, your social medias on there, your, your emails. Uh, so if there's anything that anyone wants to ask you, they can, can uh, directly contact you. Beautiful. Awesome. Well, tune in next week, guys, for another great episode. Brett Johnson, you are the man, and we appreciate your time. Thanks Thank so you. much. Thank you, everyone. Like we weren't supposed to come up with something this clean. <laughs> like something happened.